Father, we really want to be your people. We want to be your disciples. We want to follow you. We want to understand what it is that allowed you or caused you to to be able to do the things that you teach us. We know, Father, that it's because you are the Son of God, but we also know that you are human. And so, Father, teach us tonight how we can accomplish what you want us to accomplish, how we can become like you, how we can become like our Father, so that we can truly be the people that you want us to be. Bless us to that end. It's in Jesus that I pray. Amen. I don't think, now I could be wrong, and I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. I don't think anybody here is guilty of murder that I'm aware of. If you are, I don't want to know about it because then I'd have to report you. Uh, but I wonder if we're guilty of some other things that Jesus talked about. I wonder sometimes, well, not related to whether you are this way, I wonder how people get to the point that they uh, can be a suicide bomber. You know, to me that just... You know, it's out of my frame of reference, out of my ability to comprehend. How do, how do you get to the point that you can walk up to someone, a policeman or to a black man or to somebody else and just shoot them? Again, that's beyond me. Particularly someone you don't know. Particularly someone that you had no experience with that's just a random act of killing someone because of that. Jesus says, I believe, that it begins a long time before we murder someone, and that's what I want to address. Go with me, if you will, to Matthew, the fifth chapter, and I want to read several verses here and try to get to the bottom of what I believe Jesus is saying and how we can implement that into our lives. Matthew 5, and beginning in verse 21. These are the words of Jesus to his would-be disciples, those that would follow him. And this is what he says. You've heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not murder. Anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. And I suspect that there's no murderers here. But on the other hand, I suspect that some of you may have been angry with your brother at some point. I tell you that anyone, again, anyone who says to his brother, Raka is answerable to Sanhedrin, but anyone who says you fool will be in danger of the fire of hell. And I don't, I'm not going to try to go into a difference in Raka and fool and all of those things, but it's a progression that Jesus is talking about. You start with being angry and then you call him Raka and then you call him a fool. Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be re reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who's taking you to court. Do it while you're still with him on the way or you may hand you over to the judge and the judge may hand you over to the officer. You may be thrown into prison. I tell you the truth. You'll not get out until you've paid the last penny. 
several observations about that. I can, again think that Jesus is talking about a progression of thought. You start with being angry with the brother, and it leads to calling him Raka and to a fool, and then you're able to murder him. And I want to explore that. But he also says in verses 23 and 24 that your relationship with your brother is more important than your worship to God or as important. Because if you bring your altar, he says, in worship to me and you have something against your brother, go fix that first and then come worship me. I don't know how well we take that to heart. I don't know how many of you came tonight or came this morning, how many of us came tonight or came this morning that had something against a brother and sister and you didn't go fix it first. But that's what Jesus says. Even your adversary, your relationship with your adversary is important, he says. Even those that are against you, you go and make that right as quickly as you can. So I think Jesus is talking about an attitude here that starts at one point and ends, can end potentially in murder. And it's that attitude that I want us to explore. I was talking with uh, someone this morning, a member of this congregation. I'll keep their identities secret because the conversation said they had uh, at least five pets in their house. Two snakes, a tarantula, and two cats. That's all I'm going to tell you about it. Loved all of them equally. We're thinking in terms about getting another snake. Now for some of you, for some of you, the only good snake is a dead snake right? You don't care what kind it is. You don't care if it's beneficial to you. If it's a snake, you kill it. Now, I grew up in snake country the first eight years of my life, or the first eight of the first ten years of my life. I lived in Africa where there were at least, right around the house, seven different kinds of poisonous snakes. I saw snakes of all kinds. I grew to appreciate snakes. I've caught them. I've played with them. I've... Uh, killed a few, but the only ones I've ever killed were those that were I knew were poisonous. Because I wish, you may think I'm crazy, I wish I had two or three king snakes in my yard because they'd get rid of the moles, and they'd get rid of the mice, and they'd get rid of the rats, and I can tolerate a king snake. Now a rattlesnake, that's a different problem. But do you see what happens? I'm getting some terrible feedback. I don't know if it's this mic that's on. If it is, it needs to be turned off. But uh, what happens is you get to a point, if you're not careful, that that snake is no longer something that has any value at all. So you kill it. Jesus, in the second commandment that he gives, says, love your neighbor as yourself. And when asked what that neighbor was, he told a story about a Samaritan that some did not value, one did value. What I think Jesus is trying to tell, tell us is we will never get to the point of murdering anybody if we value 
everyone as he values them. Now think about that just for a minute. If you begin to devalue people, then you forget that they were created in God's image. That that person, however despicable they might be to you, however immoral they might be to you, whatever ethnic background they come from, whatever religious background they come from, they were created in the image of God. And Christ died for them just like he did for you. And he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Now think back through history just for a minute. Go back to Nazi Germany. They convinced themselves under Hitler's reign that a Jew had no value. So they could herd thousands of them into a gas chamber and eliminate them because they were not valuable. If there had been an inclination on their minds that that Jew was a valuable person created in the image of God, they would have never done that. What about slavery? Someone convinced themselves that because these Africans or some other ethnic group weren't as valuable as they were, we can take them and we can sell them and make them slaves where they never would have done that to themselves. So they devalued that person. What about the Native American Indians? The saying, the only good Indian is a dead Indian. As settlers pushed west, there became, there were some that valued them a great deal, but there were others that said, if I see an Indian, I'm going to kill that Indian because they are not valuable. They're in my way, and so I don't value them. And you could go on through history in a lot of ways and see that. What about current history? How does a jihadist reconcile the fact that he walks into a church building like this of Christianity and blows up the whole place? Because we have become infidels and thus have no value to him or to the world, so he kills us. How does a policeman in our culture, just because someone is black, shoot them when they haven't done anything. And we've seen numerous cases of that. How does a black man or somebody else, just because someone's wearing a uniform, walk up to them in a service station and execute them because suddenly a policeman or someone with a uniform on has no value to them. And the list could go on and on. How does the ugly person have less value than the beautiful person? Just look at our, how many ugly people do you see on commercials? Well, some, but, but beautiful is valuable, ugly is not valuable. What about intelligent and those 
who are mentally challenged? What about the athlete and the nerd? What about the thousands of abortions that are carried out in our country? How about the elderly in nursing homes who no one ever comes to see, including their family? Because they got old, they have no value anymore. How about illegal immigrants? How do you feel about them? Don't tell me, okay? But to hear some, those people have no value. What about uh, your janitor where you work? Do you know his name? What about the waitress that serves you at the restaurant? Do you devalue them because they're waiting on you and you're the one ordering? Our minds can go in a lot of different directions. What about those people that are recovering from some substance abuse that you didn't happen to get locked into because you were fortunate? You see how our mind can begin to devalue people. And Jesus showed us a completely different picture. And I'm not going to read all these stories. That's one thing I like about Sunday night is you know the stories. Many of you, most of you know the stories. And so I'm just going to refer to some of these stories. A leper that Jesus comes in contact with that nobody else would ever touch, that nobody else would even have anything to do with. Jesus reached out and touched him and said, said you're valuable. What about a Mary Magdalene that by all estimations by all research was probably a woman of the streets but Jesus valued her forgave her what about a wee little man that was a tax collector Zacchaeus that most of the people had no use for because of not only his height but also his profession Jesus took a very decided interest. What about the woman caught in adultery in John the 8th chapter? Or the blind beggar that probably hundreds of people walked by every day have, and some of you have been, I, I haven't been overseas much in my recent years, but I remember in, uh, well, I don't have to go overseas. I remember going to New Orleans a number of times. And there are people there that, uh, young men particularly, I can tell you what brand shoes you've got on. Well, if you fall for that, then they've got several, or some of them I can, I can tell you where you're from, or they're all beggars. How do you value those people? Do, have you ever stop and think that those people, just like Jesus did, the blind beggar, he stopped. He talked to him. He healed him. Everybody else, in fact, the disciples said, quit talking to the master. Basically, you're not worth talking to the Son of God. Basically, you don't have enough value to take his time. And Jesus demonstrated that person was valuable. What about the children that the disciples said, keep them away from him? 
they're bothered to him. Jesus took them on his knee and said, these children are valuable. See, our Lord and Savior said you value everybody. If you value everybody, it's my premise, at least, that I won't ever get to the point of being tempted to murder them because I'm not going to stay angry at them very long. I'm not going to call them rack. I'm not going to call them a fool because in the eyes of God, his son died for them. Now, as I said when I started, I haven't gotten there yet. By training, by a lot of, I'll just tell you a little bit about my high school years. I went to high school in Carlsbad, New Mexico, junior high in Midland, Texas. We didn't have any trouble with the uh, African Americans, but we had a good deal of trouble with the Hispanic. They uh, carried switchblades, brought them to school. There were several cuttings and stabbings and those kind of things. And so by that training, some of you have had that experience, by that training, by that background, that's the reaction that I had to them for a long time. I hope I've gotten over that. But as a teenager, I didn't want to be around them. I didn't, want, I didn't value them. Uh, you may have had the same experience with, I don't know, all kinds of different people. Jesus wants us to switch our minds and I think that's what he's saying to his disciples quit thinking in terms of well I've never murdered them go back to the point of saying did I devalue them at any point did I begin to think in terms of that person is inferior to me has no value to me therefore by a progression of thought you get to the point of saying well if they have no value, then I can just do away with them because they're not valuable to me. Refer to a couple of scriptures, and we won't turn again to Psalm 139. But go back and read that tonight. Psalm 139 says that, the psalmist says, that God, before every one of us was ever created, before we were even conceived, God knew our thoughts knew our actions, knew what we were going to be. The indication is we were very, very, you were very, very valuable to him. And that's true of everybody else. My tendency is to think that the world revolves around me, if I'm not careful. The world doesn't revolve around me or you any more than it revolves around every other person that God created because we're all created in the image of God. One of my favorite scriptures that has come to mean so much to me is Ephesians 2 and verse 10. For we are God's workmanship. You are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works that he's prepared beforehand for you to do. Tom Benincosa was created by God, molded, crafted by God to be exactly who he is, to do works that God had already prepared for him to do. And the same is true of Josh Bundy, and the same is true of any one of us.
Does that speak to value? Absolutely. Speaks to the fact that I have a very special value in God's eyes because he has a special work that he wants me to do to his glory. He's talking about Christians there, but he wants everyone to be a disciple of his. He wants everyone to be a follower of his. So logically, everyone is special to God. Maybe the greatest picture of this in the scripture is the, the series of stories that Jesus told his disciples, or more importantly, the, the scribes and the Pharisees in Luke, the 15th chapter. They see him eating with sinners. You see, what the Pharisees and the leaders of the Jews had done is they had categorized a group of people, they're inferior to me because they're sinners. They are not as important as I am, not as good as I am. And Jesus tells three stories that you're familiar with, maybe four stories, but three stories. He says he talked about a, a shepherd that had a hundred sheep, and one of the sheep strayed, and he left the 99 and found the sheep, and there was rejoicing in heaven because the one sheep was found told the story about a woman that had ten coins and lost one of them. And she searched and cleaned the house till she found that one coin and then invited the neighbors in for a party, basically, rejoicing that she had found that. And the angels rejoiced again in heaven. Then the father that had two sons and one was a prodigal son that went away and wasted his living, came back and was received by the father the second son was upset, but the father also received him. What Jesus is telling us, among other things, telling us about God and his love, but he's telling us about the importance of the one coin, the one sheep, the one son. Either son is important to God, and they're valued by God. We could go on with other stories. But I think the key to this is that I have to watch myself to be able to do what Jesus said and never be angry with the brother. And I know that Paul says anger sometimes is right, but you don't let the sun go down on your anger. It says that in Ephesians, the fourth chapter. So anger sometimes is an emotion that comes out, but I can choose what I do with that anger. To do to be able to choose what I do with that anger, I have to remember that if Josh makes me angry, then he's created in the image of God. He's as important as I am, and I can't harbor that anger. I can't let it turn into hate. I can't let it turn into devaluing of Josh, because that leads ultimately to where God doesn't want us to go. Jesus valued every one of those people. He even, he valued the people that rejected him so much that as he came into Jerusalem, up on the hill looking into Jerusalem, he wept. He cried. He said, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. And I'm paraphrasing, how much I would have gathered you under my wings like a hen gathers her chicks, but you wouldn't have it. He cried because those people rejected him 
He valued them to the point that he wasn't going to destroy them. He didn't want them to be destroyed. He wanted every person to come to faith and be one of his children. So the next time you're tempted to do something other than love your neighbor as yourself, stop and think about that person. Think about the fact that they're created in the image of God, that Jesus shed his blood for them, and that God in his infinite grace and infinite wisdom values them enough that he doesn't want them to be lost. And I think, I believe that if I do that process, when there's someone that I'm angry with or someone that I am beginning to devalue in some way that's hurt me, then that'll reverse the process. And I'll be able to love them with the love of the Lord. As Jesus said, love your enemies. Pray for those that despitefully use you. But that starts with the process inside me that says that person is valuable. <coughs> as valuable as I am. And God wants them and loves them as much as he does me. But that's only going to come by the power of the Spirit and God working in us. Because he loves them. And he says, if you love me first with all your heart, soul, and mind, and strength, then the second commandment is to love your neighbors yourself. I hope this is helpful to you tonight. But I hope that you, next time someone cuts you off in traffic or is uh, trying to drink a cup of coffee and put on their makeup and all of that on the way to work in front of you, or in some other way uh, you're tempted to say, something you shouldn't say, or tempted to become angry with them, or tempted to say they're not worth living on this earth, or in the political camp, camp that we're in, if you begin to devalue one of the candidates and say they're not valuable, they are to God. They are to God. You may not agree with them, you may not like them, you may not want to vote for them, but Jesus still died for them, and he wants the love of God to be shared with them. He doesn't approve of what they're doing, but he loves them, and we must too. Let's pray again. Father, we're human, and we can't quite get to loving like you love yet. But we are reminded that you loved us when we were yet sinners, that you died for us when we were enemies. Help us to learn to love with the same kind of love and never to look at a person created in your image as someone that has no value. Help us to love them in whatever way we can to show them the love that you have for them so that they can be a part of your kingdom so that you can continue to shower your love on them and bless them for eternity. Help us, Father, because we're not capable of doing that ourselves. We need your help. It's in Jesus that I pray. Amen.
we can help you in some way tonight, we're going to sing a song of encouragement. Make your way to the front or to one of the shepherds in the back and let us know how we can help. Let's stand and sing.